You are listening to the REI Mastermind Podcast. Join JD as he chats with industry-leading real estate experts and professionals. We learn from their experience and uncover the strategies to their success that we can implement into our own businesses and we can drive immediate results today. They share their experience and wisdom as we build the foundation to our own success. This is the REI Mastermind Network. Well, if you are a fix and flipper, this is the show for you. I have Victor Juracek on the call. Victor has done, I think it's 20 uh, fix and flips last year, and you're on track to do 30 more this year, 2021? That's correct. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got a lot of experience here, especially in Florida. and and but So we're going to try to do like a flick, fix and flip 101 in 30 minutes. Let's see if we can pull that off, Victor. I appreciate your time. But Victor runs a great uh, flipping resource group on Facebook. So look for Six Figure House Flipper on Facebook for a lot of resources and contacts. And, and I think there's a lot of discussion there. So uh, I appreciate you hosting that group and, and offering that invite for everybody. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on your show, by the way. Yeah, anytime. So let's let's start things off. I think we all, you know, you're 27 years old. Yes. What uh how did you get into this fix and flipping and 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 start this insanity? <laughs> sure. So I uh I went full-time in real estate about two and a half years ago. Uh and before that, I was like kind of like a corporate job, like kind of nine to five. I was a home health administrator essentially to like help run an office and like if you're familiar with home health like whenever someone gets discharged from the hospital they still need time to recover we'd send like a nurse or a physical therapist or a caregiver um importantly just to help them recover um i just basically found out like hey this this isn't for me like there's nothing wrong with the work itself it just wasn't like i wasn't really passionate about it. i was kind of neutral about it mm-hmm. and then the other thing was uh, it just wasn't getting me where I wanted to go financially. So like at the end of the month, I'd have like maybe an extra 500 bucks or an extra thousand bucks that I'd saved left over after all expenses and that sort of thing. I was like, I, I you know, projected that forward. It's like, hey, this isn't going to get me where I want to go financially. And I, I deserve better. So, you know, just started to dabble in the real estate and eventually got into wholesaling and fix and flipping. And, you know, here I am. Yeah. So you, you have had, you know, you're doing that level of volume that has to have quite a few challenges. Like what, what was the biggest challenge you faced when scaling to that size? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing, it's always about like two things, like the deals and the money. So if you can put those two things together, like the rest, uh, rest of it will fall into place. The rest of it's a lot easier to get set up. Uh, so if you can get the deals and, you know, get the money, then that's the two hardest things. And the rest uh, just kind of comes together. So where are you finding your deals right now? Yeah, sure. So about half of my deals come from wholesalers and then about half I source on my own. So we were talking, you know, earlier and I get some deals, you know, once in a while from my website, I just have a little website and people, you know, fill out the form and they reach out and uh, just makes sense for us to work together. Um, so I get some deals there, a little bit of cold calling, a little bit of everything referrals. Uh, what's really cool. Like once you get your first deal done and start to build more momentum, like doing more deals, like people start to know you and it just becomes easier and easier to get a deal. 
Uh, like for example, I, I put a deal under contract today, which is awesome. I'm excited about it. It just kind of happened. Uh, I just I didn't uh, really do anything. It just you know someone hit me up on you know Facebook and Messenger like, hey, I got a deal in in Gainesville, which is where I'm at, and saw it and like the numbers made sense and decided to move forward. So like that momentum is is uh, always a surprise to me. Um, but that your first deal is definitely your hardest. But as you know, once you start doing more deals, um, just becomes more effortless, which is fun. Sure. So what, what kind of marketing are you doing right now to find your uh, off market deals? Mm-hmm. So what's really worked is like the cold calling. Um, I know some people are pro, some people are against it just, it's, you know, seems to work. And what I like about it, it's pretty immediate, so to speak. So like, if I want to get leads today, I can start calling today versus like direct mail. Like you gotta, you gotta prep the, you know, prep the material, then you gotta send it out and you'll probably get calls next week. So I really like the directness of the cold calling. Um, and that's really cool. It's also like relatively cheap. So it's not like I need to spend, you know, five grand a month to get deals. Like you can spend, you can do the calling yourself and spend like, you know, 500 bucks a month or less, you know, getting, mm. getting deals that way. So I like, I like that. It's also like very, uh, like direct and like not face to face, but very, uh, like you're just talking to people, like you're not hiding behind a postcard. Like you're not hiding behind a website. You're just talking to people. And I, I just really like that aspect of it as well. So where are you getting your list? Are you pulling it from like list source and then doing a skip trace? Exactly. Yeah. List source is good. Um, there's other ways to pull lists. Like there's a lot of free lists people don't necessarily know about. Like for my county, and this is, you'll have to look out for yourself locally, like tax delinquent, like people who are late on their property taxes, that's a free list. Like you can just get mm-hmm. that for free. Um, so you can, you know, skip trace that and, you know, do all that good stuff. So um, don't knock the free stuff. Yeah, you know, I have to point out one thing that people seem to miss that I'm still going to I'm going to push to is the white pages, just the old phone book, because people who have landline phones still are likely that older group that would have equity in their house. Interesting. Yeah, I haven't heard that before. So um, and that is probably one of the best free lists you can get if you're you can grab one of those and you're probably your local grocery store. Yeah. What I like about that strategy too, and this is what I recommend for folks getting started, like get started with the free stuff and then you can transition to the paid stuff just because like with the free stuff, when you're getting started, like you're going to, maybe you're going to say some stuff that you shouldn't have said, or you might not come across as confident or you might not know what to say, or like there's going to be a learning process and a learning curve as you're getting started. So that's why you want to start with the free stuff. Cause then it's like, Oh, I didn't lose any money. I got free practice. But if you're paying, you know, a hundred bucks per lead, 300 bucks per lead and you mess up, uh, which, which does happen, you know, even when you're, you know, an expert level, but uh, when you're at that level, like you don't want to be paying that much and like, Oh shoot, I, I didn't get a deal or I messed up and now I'm, you know, paying for it. And I got to, you know, go through more leads to get a deal. So like really focus on the free stuff and get as much value as you can out of it. And you can still get deals off of free stuff. I still do that for sure. Yeah, no, great, great advice. So yeah, let's let's take a little time now, and if you don't mind, let's walk people through like how you run your numbers when it comes to flipping. Because to be honest, I think a lot of people find my show. You know, they're newer to real estate investing. They might have seen an episode on the DIY network, and they think they can flip a house on the weekend. And uh, I, I really makes me nervous. I, I really want them to have a good understanding of like how, how to run these numbers and what is an actual good deal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I typically stick, stick to is what's called 70% rule. 
Um, so 70% ARV minus repairs is your max offer. You know, ARV being like after repaired value. Like, what do you think, what can you actually legitimately sell the place for? So I typically stick to 70% rule with the market being where it's at. Cause as of, you know, as of us talking today, like the market's hot mm-hmm. uh, to say the least. Um, so I, I have a little wiggle room with that. So even if it's off maybe like a couple grand or maybe five grand, I still do the deal just because I know, like the property is going to sell and might even sell above asking. I know I don't have to factor in any holding costs because I just know as soon as I list it, like it's going to be gone in the next couple of days. So that, that way you can be a little more flexible with 70% rule. But that's, that's how I typically think about these deals because when you're fixing the flipping or when you're doing any sort of real estate transaction, there's a million variables you can be looking at. Like what are the bedrooms, bathrooms, you know, what are, what's the neighborhood like? Like what's the school system? Like, is it close to a road? You know, what are the neighbors like? And I mean, like how much land does it come with? Like you have so many variables to think through. Like you just want to simplify it as much as possible. Like, okay, if the numbers make sense, it's a deal. And um, you know, when you not run your numbers correctly, all of those variables are kind of baked into that as well. So when you uh, assess the ARV, let's let's define that a little bit. Are you going to like a popular website like Zillow or or something like that? Redfin would be a great example. Mm-hmm. Plot it out, find find properties that are comparables, and and do that kind of average. Um, do, have you gone that easily, or do you do you use some other tools? Yeah, to so come those- up with those comparables. For sure. Let's talk about that. So let's, I first want to talk about what, what not to do. And then I talk about like what I do and a couple of tips and tricks there. So I, I highly recommend against. So a lot of people use prop stream for ARV, nothing against prop stream, you know, but I just don't mm. feel like their ARV tool is, is um, that great. Like I recently, for example, I listed a property this was last weekend. Uh, according to prop stream, it was worth $199. I listed for 240 and I got above asking to 256. So if I you know stuck with PropStream like I would have missed out on quite a bit of quite a bit of money. So I would recommend against using PropStream um, for that reason. Uh, you can use it for other purposes but just for the ARV it's just it just it's not quite there is what I've, what I've seen and running deals. Mm-hmm. What I typically do, I just look on uh, for free on deals with Zillow and you can look up like what's sold in the area. You can get a nice neighborhood view, like how long it's, you know, and then you figure it out from there. You look at comps and I uh, basically what's sold in the last 12 months, that's similar to the property. And I found that just, you know, just looking at like the nice, the higher end properties, like if it's kind of outdated and like in the middle tier, like I don't really look at those. I look at like what's the highest uh, like the nicest properties because mine are typically nicer or on the nicer end. Um, mm-hmm. So that's how I look at just Zillow's fine. If I need a second exam, a second opinion, uh, I've had success like asking a realtor for ARV. They're typically happy to help out. That's what they do all day. They just pull comps. Uh, I've actually also had success here with uh, Fiverr. So you pay like five, 10 bucks. Someone like pulls the MLS, pulls the comps and you get like, I've gotten like really detailed comp reports and it's like, you know, a 20 page comp report, like breaks everything down. I sometimes miss it and they have MLS access and that sort of thing. And I've, you know, I've had a lot of success with that as well. Just using Fiverr. Yeah, no, that that's, we, we use uh, Zillow quite often and that's actually the best way to do it. Just, you can set it to sold and check the yeah. neighborhood, you know, our CRM pulls in comps, but I, to be frank, I, I don't use it very often because we found that it's pretty off too. 
Exactly. And that's really key. Like you're, you're really playing with like two numbers. So it's, it's like ARV, what you can sell it for, and then repairs, like what you need to put into it. Like those two numbers give you like what you can buy it for. So if you're off on ARV, like that's, that's half the numbers, like you're messing up with. So that's just really nailing it down. Um, sure. is key. And even recently it's kind of fuzzier with the ARV just because the market's so hot. Like sometimes we list properties like over ARV and we still get it. So it just kind of, kind of bends your mind there. But once things get back to normal, which it eventually has to, you know, you want to be really honed in uh, with right. that number. So you said, um, let me get this right. You get, you, you start with the number 70% of ARV. Yeah. And then from there, do you start subtracting what you think the rehab is going to be? Pretty much, yeah. So 70% ARV minus repairs is your max offer. So just a quick example, let's say ARV is 100,000. Uh, let's say repairs are 10,000. So you do 100,000 times 0.7 minus 10. So your max offer is basically 60. So mm -hmm. if someone offers you the place for 50, you know, take it. That's a great deal. Someone offers you the place for like 80, for example, it's like yeah, that, those numbers don't make sense. Um, so that's, that's how I typically run it. Sure. So based on your experience, do you have like a quick rule of thumb or like that you can do back of the nap napkin math to assess whether this is something to uh, take a look at further? Like, do you, do you have a number per square feet or a quick calculation to, to assess like what that that first volley would be? Yeah. So especially for renovations, I'm pretty contrarian. So a lot of people say like, oh, if it's a light rehab, it's 15 a square foot. If it's a medium rehab, it's 25 a square foot. It's a heavy rehab, 35 a square foot. I really don't like that sort of thinking. Um, my mentality with fix and flipping is if it's not broke, don't fix it. So you're just trying to fix what's broken in the place. Like if the roof is five years old, like don't do a new roof, like keep the roof there. Mm -hmm. um, if the kitchen's like a little bit outdated, but not perfect. Like just keep the kitchen, you know, make your life simple. Um, so I break down my re rehab budget, like a, what needs to be fixed. So I say like, okay, painting is going to be this much. Flooring is going to be this much. You know, this is going to be this much. Um, roof is going to be X. Um, and that's how I break it down. I don't break it down by square foot. Um, a little bit because that is influenced by like flooring prices and like painting prices because of like how much surface area or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but that's how I typically think of it. So um, I just break it down. I walk through a property and what's really good is you do it more and more, like you'll start to be more familiar with prices. So I can walk through a property now. And it took me some time to get here. And like within 90 seconds, I know I have like a number in my head, like this place needs 50,000. This place needs 20,000. Um, then you can you know just plug and play from there. Sure. So now that you've done this, do you kind of have a formula? Like I'm sure you have like a team that you kind of go to on a pretty regular basis that does a lot of this work. Do you have like a, a run book, if you will, that, that details like, well, Victor, we, all of his property property has this color walls, this flooring, this, like what, what do you do to prepare or document what, what's going on at each yeah. step? So what's really good is as you start to do more volume, like we pr pretty much just stick to the like same colors for everything. So it just makes makes it simple, especially as we have like leftover material. Like you can just use it on the next place because you know it's going to be the same color. So we typically do like a kind of like a light gray carpet and then like a light gray LVP, which is like a luxury vinyl plank. So it's kind of these like sure. planks that stick together. Uh, so we do that. And then we do like a reflection gray by Sherwin Williams. So it's kind of a light gray on the walls and then a white trim. So it's kind of that modern look, like just light gray colors. 
And that's what we typically do. And if there's anything left over, we'll just put it in the next place and, you know, keep it rolling. Sure. No, that, that I've just found that time and time again, that that seems to be the case. Like, yeah. so when you, uh, you're managing these contractors then going, and I can't imagine you doing all this work yourself. You got a number of contractors. Do you have people helping you manage these projects as they're going on or, or how sure, does that yeah. look? Yeah, no. So I have a project manager now, which makes my life a ton easier. Just someone who can be there, check in on things and make sure everything's going well. Um, so that's, that's pretty much it. So, you know, with me, with where I'm at, I have about, so again, the goal for this year is about 30 flips and I'm, I'm on track for that, which is great. Uh, I have about 13 going right now. So for me to be, you know, running around and trying to, you know, knock those all out, that, that'd be uh, uh, pretty time intensive. So you have to start to build a team. Um, like if you want to hit like six figures flipping, it's totally fine. Just be by yourself. That's, you know, three, four flips per year, totally doable. Um, as you want to start to scale and do more, like you want to start to build that team. Right. So how did you find your team members? Is that all about networking or did you, uh, just uh, yeah. start calling the yellow pages. <laughs> I wish. Yeah, I wish. Um, no. So how I did it, um, it's just it's networking. So basically what I did, especially for the project manager role, I, I wrote a list like, okay, what are the characteristics of somebody to fill this role? So it's like reliable, um, you know, like good character, like kind of tough love. Like sometimes if someone does something wrong, like they have to like push like, hey, you got to fix this type of thing. Uh, mm -hmm. So I basically wrote out all the characteristics of that. And then I started to reach out to people who had like similar char characteristics in my network. And the idea is like, like attracts like. So if someone is like highly dependable, like their, their circle of influence, their circle is going to also have people who are highly dependable because you're not going to have a highly dependable person kind of associate with someone who's um, uh, like flaky and doesn't get the, the job done. So basically started to reach out to people in my network and, um, yeah, just got connected to like, you know, to another person and just made it happen. So um, right. it's, it's been working out so far. Yeah. So um, with that, you know, one of their, we've, we've seen some variables that have changed things, I'm sure for you mm. over the past year, you know, with, with COVID and, and everything, but there seems to be a bit of uh, some pricing issues when it comes to lumber and building material how has that impacted your numbers and how you run things? Um, we, we pretty much do the same thing. Like even if, you know, prices have gone up a little bit, what I've seen is it typically just makes up for it on the appreciation. Like we like, yes, our, we have to put a little more into the renovation, but by the time we sell the place, like we just sell it for a little bit more and it, uh, it just works out that way. So luckily we're not, we're in a good market and a highly appreciating market. Um, it'd be a different story if like if our market was flat and like the costs were still rising. Uh, but now like so far from what I've seen, it just basically matches it. Uh, so for example, I bought a property here and I bought in, in uh, March, excuse me. And that was supposed to be like a quick, you know, two month deal. It's still taken some time with the renovations. It's a long story. Um, but in that time, like the property is appreciated. It was originally like 315. Now it's more like 325. And that offsets like the additional holding costs and that offsets the additional like uh, renovation costs. So it's, it just, you know, it just works out. So it's been uh, luckily in our favor, that stuff. Yeah. I, you know, I'm glad that you brought up the holding costs. How do, do people uh, typically, would they, you probably would recommend them calculating that sometimes that type of thing is missed. Yeah. So I, I recommend like really make sure to include all of your costs. So that's like, if you have like some sort of hard money or some sort of loan on it, 
Um, so there's that like kind of mortgage, monthly mortgage. Uh, property insurance, that's, you know, that's a, that's a fee as well. Uh, property taxes, you might have to only pay that, pay that per year, but even if you own it for six months, like it shows up somewhere, uh, like you have to pay it for the ownership. Uh, utilities, um, that sort of thing. The other thing that people don't always look at is like the opportunity costs. So like uh, the cost of your money being in one deal in deal A versus deal B. So sometimes I like to like move my deals quicker. Uh, so sometimes I won't like, for example, like there are like when I'm selling a property, like maybe I'll take an offer um, that's not quite where I want it to be, but I know they can close quick and I can, you know, sell the place to them versus like having the mar- property on the market for uh, you know, an extra month or two. Uh, and like waiting for that uh, tip top price. Cause I'd rather, you know, be able to do, let's say, you know, 10 flips and make 30 K each than make, you know, do five flips and make, uh, you know, what did I say? So I'd rather do uh, let's say 10 flips and make 30 K each than five flips and make 40 K each. So like mm-hmm. through the volume, like you're able to do more and you're able to make more. So you have to look at the opportunity cost of, of the money uh, sitting there tied up in a deal. Sure. So, you know, now that you've been doing this for a while, if you uh, had to do this all over again, what is one, one of those things that you would have done differently? I think getting started earlier, um, I was recommended by a mentor like five, six years ago to get started. Like, hey, you know, the, the real estate's great. You should get into it. I didn't listen. And I got started two and a half years ago. And the reason that's an issue is just because of like exponential growth. So my first year I did two flips, then I did eight. Last year I did 20, gold this year is 30. So who knows where I would have been if I got started, you know, five, six years ago. I might have been at like the sure. 40 or 50 mark. Um, so that's what a lot of people miss is like your growth isn't linear necessarily. Like there, it, there is that exponential. Like once you get it, you can start doing more and more and scaling. Um, so you miss out not just on like, you know, the, the linear growth. Uh, so just getting started ASAP is really key. Uh, even if it's taking like little actions or like, you know, attending a local RIA, um, things, little steps every day can really push you in the right direction. Sure. Well, and then I, I uh, like this other question too, is the, the concept, if you could speak to yourself, you know, 20 years from now, what would you tell your future self? What would I tell the, the future self? Yeah. Uh, I I thought about this. I think about this constantly. Um, Like I'd rather have, like there's two buckets. Like I'd rather have 20% growth for 50 years than 90% growth for a decade. And like, if you look at that, just continuing that exponential conversation, um, if you, the the 20% growth over 50 years, like is way, way, way more than the, the other bucket. Like even like doubling, like if someone doubled their business every year for a decade, they'd be like, they'd be a great entrepreneur. Right. But people often overlook like the slower growth. So in talking to the future self, it's it's really key, like just making sure like you're still on track because uh, sometimes it's like the boring, consistent, mundane stuff that really, you know, can can compound and become something, you know, a behemoth in like 30 years. So that's yeah, what no. I would tell my future self. Yeah, no, there, then there's something to be said about that slow and steady. I mean, there, <laughs> that old adage really rings true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, Usually so- that means slow and stable. <laughs> slow and stable. Yeah. Because that's the other thing. Like when things, when things happen, like for example, uh, for April 2020, like March 2020, like 
let's say March to May 2020, like things really slowed down. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you if you were running things on fumes where you were kind of tight financially and tight with your deals, like you could have been knocked out of the game. And especially when you're thinking long term, like you just got to be in the game. Like even if you're like staying in the game and just growing a little bit, like you're still in the game. You don't want to be knocked out. And then like, that's it. It's got to start, right. from, start from negative even. So, you know, and I'm going to change shifts a little bit on you, but before I do, I want to remind everybody your Facebook group again, Six Figure House Flipper. Um, yes. Join uh, join Victor's group there to for a lot more information and details. Mm-hmm. But um, a lot of people, when they get into this, you know, they 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 jump in head first. They're all starry eyed. They they're excited about this opportunity. Yeah. But I need you to share your worst deal. Worst deal. Okay. Huh. Well, luckily I've never like lost money on a deal, which is good. Um, probably worst deal. I have a couple like bad ones for sure, but I'll, I'll share one of them here. Um, there was a, a mobile home. This was, this was uh, probably about a year ago. Uh, again, like deals were slower uh, just because of inventory being low. So there's a mobile home. It's about an hour out. It's in Bronson. Uh, so it's like hour out West of here, Bronson, Florida. And basically bought this with a partner and like it was me and a partner. So we're going to go in on it. Um, First thing that went wrong, like the first contractor, like he gave us a quote for 35. He saw the place, walked the place. He said, okay, I can do all the work for 35,000. Great. Um, The the tenants moved out or like the owners moved out as they should have per our like uh, agreement. And then... So they moved out and that was no problem. The guy walked the place again. We know first before that we gave him a deposit. We gave him a deposit like, it was like 15 grand or 20 grand. It's like we gave him a little bit above 50%. And the next day he's like, well, it's not going to be 35 grand. It's going to be 50 grand for the renovation. I just walked the place again. I, sorry, I missed some stuff <laughs> and uh, it's going to be 50 grand now. So obviously he just took the deposit and we're like, oh, oh shoot, this isn't good. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically got the deposit back from like, Hey, that's, I mean, you can't like double your price. Uh, you already saw the place. Like you can't just double your price all of a sudden. Uh, what we think happened, maybe you got some other more profitable work. So you just need to X, you know, X this one. Okay, great. So <laughs> got the money back. Okay. Got in a second contractor. He's like, okay, got all the stuff done. I think it, it lasted for about a month where like nothing was happening. Like they did demo and then it was just promise after promise after promise and like made zero progress. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we paid, we didn't really pay him much. So it wasn't that big of a loss. It kind of compensated with what needed to be done. Uh, so that was the second contractor. The third contractor was able to get in there. He was really busy. So, um, he had other projects. So like the, the quality and there's a couple of things like missed, um, that were there, but other than that, like did a great job, got it. Uh, we listed it. Awesome. Listed it, got it, you know, full asking price within a couple of days. Cool. That's not bad. Um, about to close, you know, it took like 30 days, 45 days as an FHA loan is a mobile home. If you know about mobile homes, um, if the mobile home is original to the land, then you can get it financed. If it's been moved, you know, it's like put somewhere and then it was moved. It's called second cent. You can't get financing for it. It has to be cash. We found mm-hmm. that out a week before, uh, oh, nobody no. told us it was not original. And we found that out a, w- out a week before closing. Nobody, nobody thought to check it. Uh, so that one fell through. We relisted it. Eventually, found a cash buyer um, and sold it to them, no problem. And um, yeah, we made about eleven thousand on that one, eleven thousand five hundred. Uh, it was just a lot of hassle. Like, yes, we made a profit, and mm-hmm. that's awesome. It's just a lot of hassle, a lot of heartache, a lot of stress. 
uh, that I, you know, that I don't have to go through again on that. Right. That's probably right. one of the worst, worst deals here. Well, well, let's leave on a high note. Tell us about your best deal. So there was a deal um, also in Florida here. Obviously, that's where I'm doing, doing all my deals. Uh, we bought it for, I think we bought it for like 74 or 78, 78. We bought it for 78. We put in about 50 and we sold for 200. So we made about 64K net. That was great. Uh, renovation went pretty smoothly. Um, selling went pretty smoothly, uh, but it was, it's our best you know, deal to, to date. And uh, 64K was really good. Um, so we're really excited about that. Uh, that one went like mostly smoothly and maybe a couple of hiccups, but nothing, nothing to report. So yeah, that was a good one. Sure. Yeah, that does sound good. So, you know, uh, I, I warned you when we started that I like always like to start closing out the show with one actionable thing that you can give people that they can do right now to make an immediate difference in their business. What would you suggest? I recommend, um, especially for beginners, I recommend, this is what I teach, like for your first offer, do what I call like a lowball offer. A lot of people get into like analysis paralysis or they get into like, oh, what if I say the wrong thing? And they just kind of sit on the sidelines for a long time and months become years, become, you know, decades. So, you know, just kind of drags on for a long time. Uh, so I'd recommend like this weekend, you can even do this today, like make a 50% lowball offer. So go on like a for sale by owner site, you know, call up an owner. And if they're asking for a hundred, you know, offer 50,000. And through this exercise, you realize like people are typically nice. Like you're not going to get yelled at. They're not going to come and beat you up. They're just going to say, Hey, that's, that's too low. I'm so sorry. That's not going to work for me. And that'll be that. And then you'll realize, Oh, my, my worst fears aren't even that bad. So I might as well just, you know, make this happen. Um, so I shouldn't have this fear uh, holding me back anymore. Yeah. You know, and there's kind of a trick to that too. If you really get in the habit of it, I've always found that you can almost say anything if you ask permission first. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that, that's true too. That's true. Yeah. So if you, if you say, you know, I, I hate to tell you this, would it, but would it be okay if I share? Mm-hmm. Um, they'll say, yeah, go ahead. You're not going to hurt my feelings. And then it's not going to yeah. be as big of a, as a big of a hit when they, like when you do throw yeah. that out. I've used the phrase, or I've heard people use the phrase like, I'm, I, you know, I don't, I want uh, like, what do you think you want to get for this place? Uh, like, I don't want to insult you with my own offer. They're like, oh, no, no, go ahead. You know, go ahead with your offer. And then yeah. you've primed it in a way, like they can't be insulted after, you you know, you just said. You know, don't right, right. So in, um, in a roundabout way, just ask permission and yes. 99% of the time they're going to give it to you. Exactly, exactly. So. And for the point, you know, 0.1% of the time, it's typically like some other issues they have in their life. If they're if they're yelling at a stranger, like, I mean, that's <laughs> that's on them. That's not on you. Right. Yeah, I mean, we talked early on, we talked about uh, sending out mailings and I just had another one just the other day called in and there was nothing I was going to do or say to get her to not yell at me um, because she simply had gotten a postcard in the mail. Yeah, so a little piece of paper in the mail that makes you angry. So that's, you know, uh, (laughs) what can you do about that? You know, people get mail all the time. So yeah, exactly. And it didn't help when I asked her, well, do you call Walmart and yell at them too? <laughs> no. Uh, anyway, um, so lastly, is is there a question you wished I would have asked you here today? Hmm. <laughs> is there a question you wished I wished you would have asked me? That's a good one. 
I've asked people that question before as well. And that's a, that's a good one. And if you don't have an answer to that, I've just done such an oh, outstanding job that I just exhausted every, <laughs> every possibility. Yeah. I'm trying to think of one. I was my, like the first thing that came to mind is like who makes it and who doesn't make it. Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen this over and over again. It's like, it's not, I've seen people with like no credit, no money, know nothing about real estate. Like I've seen them be successful time and time again. And then mm -hmm. people with money and credit and like at every possible advantage, like they get nowhere. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of things behind that. I think just to build on that slow and steady theme, like I, I liken it to the gym. So I'd rather you go to the gym. Like a lot of people go to the gym and they're like, oh, I want to make this happen. So they go every day for a week and you don't really see a lot of results after that. You just kind of get sore and it doesn't really go anywhere. I'd much rather you go three times a week, which is obviously less, but go for a whole year. And I think I would say a lot of people aren't used to like consistency or aren't used to like self self-discipline when it comes to this sort of thing. So I've had a lot of people who are like, oh, I'm going to make 50 offers this week and I, this weekend and I'm going to get a deal. And like mm -hmm. those people just kind of hype themselves up where it's like, you know, Friday rolls around, like, oh, they didn't make any offers. Saturday rolls around, oh, they didn't make any offers. And Sunday rolls around like, oh, I can't do 50 offers in a day. That's too crazy. I'll pick it up next weekend. And that sort of pattern continues until they basically give up. So I'd rather you, like even with the gym example, like go one, one time a week, but then you it becomes a habit, it becomes part of you. And then like twice a week, three times a week becomes a lot easier. I just think we're, we're wired differently as people where like we're not used to that and we're not used to that type of thinking uh, where like even if you do a little bit consistently, like you're going to outperform someone who, who doesn't. Um, so yeah. that's kind of a thought here, just kind of a question. I don't know if that was a question. It was just more of a monologue. <laughs> no, no, it, it makes a lot of sense too. And, you know, more people than not, they have a tendency of reacting to pain versus, wow. you know, pleasure or, or contentment, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so typically, you know, I'm going to pile on your, your analogy there, you know, the, those people that have a little bit more, they find that consistency quicker and they, and they, perform well in real estate investing yeah they they may not have they may have a they might be struggling with a little pain right now there's something behind that driving their their motivation and those mm -hmm. of us that you get you get into this point of contentment yeah there isn't a there isn't a driving reason to break free of that um yeah and then that's the unfortunate thing like um I did a survey here recently of people who wanted to get into real estate. Um, and out of like 137 people, like I kept in touch with them, I think like six months, 12 months, like what would you guess out of 137, how many of those like beginners going zero to one, how many actually completed their first deal? What do you think? 20% of them. Oh, I, I wish. No, it was uh, like three or 4%. So like really? extremely small number actually went out and did it. And there's a lot to untangle there. I don't think we have time for that, but I think it's like the biggest thing is that fear. And it's like, it's that they don't realize it's fear um, that's holding them back. Like it, they think it's like some sort of excuse, like, Oh, if I had the money or if I had X, if I had Z, Y, Z, then I could do it. But then they don't realize like once they get that, like, let's say I gave you all the money in the world, like, okay, now you got to get deals. Like now you don't know how to get deals. Now what? Mm -hmm. um, and then like, let's say I teach you how to get all the deals. And it's like, uh, I'm scared of doing a deal because I'm scared of uh, like, what if I lose money? 
So then it's like, okay, then you, you just, um, so people don't really, really realize what's holding them back. Um, so that 3%, that, you know, that, uh, yeah, that just surprised me as well, unfortunately. Yeah. Wow. Well, I hope everybody takes some action right now and head over to six flipper house or six figure house flipper and join your group because it sounds like there's a lot of benefit there and a supportive group. So I really appreciate your time again, Victor. And uh, you're welcome back anytime. We probably could spend a whole episode on mindset. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. That's a, that's a whole topic for another time, but I appreciate this has been, this has been good. This has been fun and uh, hopefully shared a lot of good tidbits for your uh, audience here. Oh, you definitely have. So again, six figure house flipper, and uh, we'll talk to you again next time. This has been the REI Mastermind Network. You can already tell that we've made some changes and a few more are on the way. If you are interested in what we have planned, head over to patreon.com slash REI Mastermind and support the show today. Financial contributions are always appreciated along with a like, share, and review. It really helps us grow and reach more people with this valuable information. See you next time and tell a friend.